Hi, this is Liz Tinkham, and welcome to Third Act, a podcast about people embracing the third act of their lives with a new sense of purpose and direction. The third act begins when your script ends, but your show's just not finished. Hi, this is Liz. We're doing something a little different this week and replaying several of our favorite Encore episodes. So if you're a new listener, you'll have lots of episodes to binge. But if you're one of our loyal listeners, you'll have the opportunity to catch up or rehear a favorite episode. I am incredibly grateful to all of you who listen and support this show. And if you're in the United States, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy. On today's inaugural episode of Third Act, I talk with Kate Eisler, the border breaker. Kate traveled the world with her family in tow as a senior executive at Microsoft. Along the way, she found her passion, which is supporting other women and pushing for gender equity in all aspects of life and work. Through that and today, she's the CEO of a growing e-commerce and digital marketplace that focuses on women-owned businesses called the W Marketplace. So Kate, welcome to Third Act. Although for you, I think it's like your fourth or fifth act. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So let's start with your background at Microsoft. And you started at Microsoft in what year? The end of 1989, if you can believe it. Microsoft was a little known sort of mid-sized tech company. And so it was, you know, Bill Gates was the CEO and he had a vision There was a huge effort to rally and change the way business was being done. And he had that vision. And so at the time, the company was very energetic, very young, and very driven to make that vision a reality. And that was kind of the qualification to get in, is you had to have lots of energy and lots of passion. And you know, it's a, it was a really interesting thing. They were looking for all kinds of skills of all kinds of people in really diverse ways that they didn't know what they needed because we were kind of making it up as we went along. And you know, I was fortunate enough to work at the company in a time where everybody was taking chances. And if you were willing to try things, the company was willing to support you to do that. It was really an incredible time. What were you like then? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was, um, <laughs> well, I came from an advertising agency and I started working at Microsoft by accident. I had someone who worked at the agency that I had never met that called me. I had taken her job. And so I knew her background and I knew her handwriting really well because I would taken all our clients. She went to work for this tech company And she called and said, are you interested? We're looking for people at this tech company. And so I went and I was very nervous, but I thought, why not try it? And so Mm -hmm. I had no tech experience. I didn't really have anything except communication experiences. And I thought, okay, well, what's the harm? I'll just jump in and try this. And it really ended up to be such an amazing experience in my life. It changed my life. And, you know, that support that I got from the company between us in terms of I was willing to do things. And there was a culture of, if you're willing to do it and they're taking a chance, we will support you to do it. And so when you started there, and maybe it was after a few years, did you have any idea where you were headed within the company or 
you know, did you have an aspiration of doing something there? I had no idea where I was headed, but I was always ambitious and I'm a little bit of a risk taker and an Mm -hmm. adventure seeker. And so early on, within the first few years, I made some enormous mistakes. (laughs) So I was in charge of the hardware business and the communications and ads for the hardware business, which at the time meant mice. And mice were sold only with a specialized program because you didn't need them because you didn't have windows and they didn't, you know, you didn't have a reason to have mouse when you were word processing. And so Windows 3.0 was going to be announced and it was the first time Microsoft was introducing a whole new visual, what they called a graphical user interface, which meant multiple layers of windows on your machine and right. you need a mouse. The GUI. And so the GUI, that's it. <laughs> Actually announced that. Six weeks before it was formally announced in the press. Oh my goodness. Was that, um, was this when you was, were in the U.S. or overseas? No, it was when I was in the U.S. Okay. And I, you know, I, my heart dropped. I saw it in a magazine. I was traveling for the company with a bunch of people. And one of the people pulled up the magazine and opened it up to this double page spread in a computer news magazine. And it was of the mouse with Windows 3.0 and the launch date from Windows 3.0 had been pushed out, pushed out. And I had forgotten to pull this ad insertion. And so there it was. Oh my goodness. I I went back to my office and I had only been with the company probably five months, six months. And so I called my husband and said, my career has been really fun, (laughs) although short, because I'm sure they're going to hire me. (laughs) Time for a pivot. Uh, Oh my gosh. Um, And I ended up having to, you know, make a mitigation plan and email everyone, including the head of Windows, which that guy's name was Steve Ballmer. What I was going to do to fix it because there was nothing to do. It was already distributed in thousands of magazines. And so I did my mitigation plan, packed up my office and went home for the weekend and thought, oh God, my card key probably won't work on Monday. And it did. And I was, you know, told, pay attention, never do this again, but, you know, keep moving. And so I did. And within a few years, there was a man that worked at the company that we had similar skills and his career was moving a bit faster than mine. And he was transferred to Paris for a job. Okay. And I went, oh my gosh, if that guy can do it, I can do it. So I raised my hand and said, that's what I want to do and started talking to people around the company. And there was at the time about 3000 people. So it was not a large company. Okay. And Shortly after that, a few weeks later, a colleague said, okay, well, there's a job open in the Middle East. So what year is this now? This is 1992. 1992. Lots Mm -hmm. of blondish, curly hair women going into the Middle East (laughs) in 92, if I recall, right? (laughs) Right after the first Gulf War. If you think about it, it was a time where all of business was changing. So we were computerizing all over the world. And this place in the world had a bunch of money and a bunch of desire to be westernized in terms of business. So the opportunity was there. And I talked my husband into going to look and see you know, what this would mean. And this would mean an upheaval in our entire lives. 
we were a very classic two-income family with a baby and all was going well. We had bought a house and we were kind of building a life. And instead, we went and decided, why not try this? And so went to the Middle East. My husband quit his job and was the only um, male non-working spouse, I am very sure, for thousands of miles in the Middle East. Probably, and right. I became the sole breadwinner. And there I was in the Middle East with 16 Middle Eastern countries to look out for and had so much fun. Do you remember back then? Because I mean, that's an unbelievable story. First to, I mean, I've moved as well with my husband and I can remember the conversations about moving, but that would be moving from Chicago to New Jersey or Chicago to Seattle. Moving from Seattle to, you went to Dubai, is that correct? Correct. Yep. To Dubai, that's a much bigger thing. Then getting there and being in a foreign country, in a Middle Eastern foreign country as a woman. I mean, do you remember what you were most afraid of when you were there? Oh my gosh, everything. <laughs> I was. I felt pressure for sure to perform really well. You know, to do better than my male counterparts because I think that there was a spotlight on me. I was feeling under pressure and terrified that my son wouldn't think of me as his parent anymore because I was taking on such a different role. I mean, working mother went to the extreme. And, you know, I was just afraid of how I would be received by my, you know, male counterparts, both within the company and the people that we had to talk to because, you know, Microsoft's business model for sure then was not a direct sales model. It needed distributors and retail channel. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a really interesting thing. But I will say, again, I can't tell you how, you know, how much support I had because right after I arrived there, I was probably three weeks in and we had the equivalent of CES in the Gulf region in Dubai. And we had executives from Microsoft that came and there was a big meeting of all of our partners and they had come from all these countries and the and then the vice president of international at Microsoft stood up at that meeting, introduced me, and said, "Whatever she says is what Microsoft and Bill Gates want you to do." And that was a ticket. You know, wow. that was my ticket to success right there because that showed such support and such backing for me that I was successful from that point. And, on. and it empowerment, was, and it totally empowered mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've told me a great story about going into Syria. Yes. You have to remember that the the Middle Eastern culture is vastly different than ours. And we can't assume because we are Western that they are going to respect our culture, which is fine. But there was some interesting things because I was a little bit of a novelty. And, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> besides me and, and doing business and, you know, there was interesting things. So at the time, Syria was not, um, you couldn't take certain things into the country. And so to get there, driving was the way to go versus flying because there was such restrictions on air mm-hmm. travel in that part of the world. So your job was to sell what into Syria? Everything. And mostly... <laughs> Anything mostly, Microsoft had to sell at that point, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, and we just had begun developing Arabic language version products. So they were not the staple. So it was mostly 
English-based products. And we had business development people put into different countries in the Middle East. And we had a distributor, which was our partner in Syria, in Damascus. And so I was scheduled to go and meet with that partner and some of the government officials that were actually going to buy our product, some of the back-end products that we, that we had and some of the Windows and Office products that we had to run their government. And okay. so I was going in for that meeting. So I went to Amman, Jordan, and I got with our business development guy from Jordan and the Levant. And we got in the car and there was a series of cars that you had to take. So there was one car that took you to the border in the Golan Heights. Mm-hmm. And then, then you had to switch cars to go <laughs> over the border. And that car had compartments to hold all of your electronics because they were banned in Syria at the time. So even my laptop computer, I couldn't take. You couldn't take anything in? Nothing in. Um, and then there was another car after you crossed the border that took you into the city of Damascus. And so we got in the first car and, you know, was uneventful. And the second car we pulled off the side of the road was waiting for us. And there was all these compartments. And so we were taking my laptop and actually a satellite antenna to our partner there who had ordered it. And it was the custom that you would order things outside of the country and then someone would courier it in. So indeed I was couriering electronic equipment into the country to Syria. In, in these compartments. In these compartments. And okay. so then they, there's a series of guards. And so you're you were stopped at every bit. And once the guards figured out who I was and that I was an American and then I worked for Microsoft because they began to know who Microsoft was by then because of Windows. And so you couldn't move past them unless you gave them something. And okay. something, I mean, um, I had mouse pads and I had <laughs> um, writing pens with logos on it. And I had just, you know, a little bit of collateral here and there and, and giveaways. And so every time a guard would stop, you know, every time we'd stop, we'd give them something. And I, you know, it was crazy stuff. And so, and then we got to the border and you had to get out of the car and walk into an immigration building and have your passport checked. And so, you know, we got out and they were supposedly going to search your car, which they, you know, hence the compartments, but I don't know the extent of which they were going to search the car. So we had to take our bags and we went into the, um, to the immigration office and they, you know, you handed your passport like you do, you know, across the, uh, across the desk and across yes. the window, like everybody's done, you hand it across. And then they motioned for you to back up. And so you do. And so I was backing up and the process was they would then your passport moved through a series of people that was that were behind those counters and it went down the path to lots of right. people. And then they would call out a name and instead of standing up and you know you walking up to the window to retrieve your passport, they would simply just throw it over the <laughs> throw it over the petition. It was amazing. <laughs> and then, and Little catch. Was definitely yeah, I was definitely sort of a odd man out, let's just say, in this place because I was, you know, young and had very long blonde curly hair, which oh I stuck out for sure because there was a lot of, you know, they were wearing dishdashes, traditional dress. And, and I don't believe there were any women around except for me. And they were very respectful and nice. But then when my passport came, you know, the scrum kind of cleared and they <laughs> threw it. They kind of knew who Kate Eisler might have been, right? Exactly. And so I kind of, yeah, walked up and picked up my passport off the floor. And so they all stood and watched me and then walked out the other side of the door. Oh, my goodness. And 
And my, you know, my traveling companion, the BDM followed me out when he got his and we got in the car and then continued to give out our pins and, you know, things as we passed. And then, you know, we drove a few miles, got in a different taxi and went into Damascus. If you're a woman executive at the top of her career, there's a good chance you're thinking about serving on a board. I know I was. Becoming a board director is one of the most rewarding ways to leverage your vast experience as a leader. You get to give back, share your unique perspective, and guide rather than do. But you don't need to wait for your third act to start. Women executives join the Athena Alliance to prepare for the boardroom, broaden their executive knowledge, and receive access to curated learning content and top-tier board coaches. Plus, they get to network with a global community of women leaders and get access to exclusive board opportunities and advisory roles. So what are you waiting for? If you're considering board service or simply want to expand your C-suite acumen or prepare for your next career move, now is the time to join the Athena Alliance. Use code ATHENA10 at checkout to receive 10% off membership now through the end of the year. To join, go to athenaalliance.com forward slash save 10. That's athenaalliance.com forward slash save 10. Your resilience and fearlessness is just unbelievable. You know, as you walked away from that job, because eventually you finished in the Middle East. I mean, what was your takeaway? So, you know what? As I walked away from that job, I actually walked into one where I lived in a different place. So I moved my family to London and we, I took on all of Africa and the Middle East and India. And so I walked into a sort of a bigger, more diverse group of cultures. But the thing that I took away was really how energized and exhilarated I was from working and having all those experiences that I think that they were not really physically scary to me because I was so interested in it. And I still, you know, it's curiosity and it's people and that's what engages and makes me sort of fearless. It's like the alternative would be not to have those experiences and not to learn those things about people and not, you know, to just, I'm not good at fitting in and living like everyone else. I've never been. It's always been, I think there's more. I think it's more interesting to do something. And so I am a big proponent of why not try it? Right. And that's, I I walked away with that really energized and kind of ready to do it over and over again is, and, you know, kind of continue the adventure basically. So, you know, as I think about the job you have now with Be Bold Now and gender parity, and we'll talk about that more here in a few seconds, but were there any inklings of, hey, I mean, obviously you saw probably very disparity among men and women in the Middle East. It sounds to me though, like you were well supported by your male allies, bosses at Microsoft at the time, but were there any sparks of, hmm, there's something with gender parity back then? Absolutely. You know, the fact that it was such an anomaly always gave me pause. That you were such the anomaly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that it was so surprising for people to have a woman in that position. I think that at the time we didn't articulate, because this is quite, you know, I think about this 25 years ago, we didn't articulate the disparity between men and women. I would agree. And, you know, it, but it always sort of struck me and in both in a work environment and in a social environment, both my husband and I had to kind of write our own playbooks 
to function because he was at home with the children, which was not done at the time and certainly not done as an internationally assigned family for a corporation. We were most definitely in all of our school and social situations, people would say, you know, the first question they would ask us both was, what does your husband do? In, in effect, why are you here? And then when I would say, well, it's my job and I work for Microsoft, they would say, really? Like, okay, and did you bring your family with you? You know, that was the other interesting thing that I was like, you would never ask a man in that situation, did you bring your family on an expat assignment? Because it was assumed that you would. But for me as a woman, it was really an interesting thing. And so I started to kind of get that vibe of, you know, what we need to do is bring other women into this experience so that it is not so strange. And the rest of the world celebrates International Women's Day on March 8th every year. And it is a hundred year old holiday and it is much broader to celebrate and acknowledge women's contribution than Mother's Day is what the U.S. celebrates. And I was always intrigued by that. And I always thought, wouldn't it be great to have a female colleague to talk about some of this or to celebrate and kind of get engaged? And so that was where my passion for bringing women together and talking more about gender parity is that it needed to come into the consciousness of people, certainly across the board. And I don't think, you know, I was well supported for the, for most of my career at a company, but it wasn't a big deal to talk about women's equality in that way at that time. I feel the same way with my career that I was working, I was well supported I was doing well. I had my husband as well, staying home, taking care of our kids. We were in the US maybe, so it wasn't quite as much of an anomaly, although it, it still was. And and it was in the back of my head. And, and you kind of got, probably the same way with you, you kind of get used to it. You walk into a room, mm-hmm. 20 men, it's you, you're like, whatever. It, it doesn't even phase you after a while. But what I love about what's going on today and, and with today's generation and the, the millennials is they're just so much more conscious of it and trying so much harder or calling it out as to being wrong, right? Like why this this isn't Mm -hmm. the right thing to look at. So one more thing about your career at Microsoft, you left Microsoft twice. True? I did. Okay. Yes. Very true. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When and why I should ask. So I spent my years overseas and decided to come back to the U.S. and just really, you know, the sort of the average routine of climbing the ladder in corporate America was just not who I am. And I was, I needed some more adventure. You know, I tried really hard to sort of fit in and do what I was supposed to do and came back to the U.S. and, you know, had a great job and just was bored to death. And so I thought, okay, you know, I need to do something new. I need to do something different. And so I left Microsoft and thought I had the flu and I had a third child. So, no. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and so Oops. I had more than the flu. And then I started working for a couple of startups and, you know, just did a bunch of different things. And Microsoft kept calling me and saying, are you going to come back? Are you going to come back? And we have, you know, things, interesting things. And finally, um, they did have an interesting thing. They said, how about we're developing 
um, Eastern Europe and Central Asia. And so how about that? And so I thought, oh, I could live in Munich. And, you know, again, a really hospitable place for women. Why not? <laughs> so I, that's, that's Munich. how we went back. <laughs> yeah, Munich. And oh, so, yeah, Germany. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we went back, um, my husband and at the time now three boys packed up and moved to Germany and I worked throughout Eastern Europe and Central Asia and had a great time. And again, it was a different, you know, so this is 2003 when I moved there. Okay. And the EU structural funding was going into Eastern Europe. And so it was a time of lots of change and lots of opportunity there. Do you feel like Microsoft rewarded you for taking, I, I still think it was a bit of a risk professionally and personally in some ways as well. Yeah, you know, in some ways I feel like they did. In some ways, I think that they used to scratch their heads and say, we don't really get you. You know, it was a really interesting time. And, you know, I wasn't your traditional, I'm going to go here and, you know, be promoted and do this and this and this. And I think some of that was there are not a lot of women leaders at the company. And there are certainly not a lot of women leaders who take positions like I did outside the U.S. Were there any women? I mean, there's probably a few, not as many as they have today, but. Interestingly enough, in Eastern Europe, there was some women leaders. There was a woman leader of Russia when I first got there who was very powerful and very inspirational. And I, you know, learned a lot from her. But in terms of, you know, the corporate hierarchy of the company, there were very few. And so Kathleen Hogan was kind of coming up at the time. And gosh, there was a public, Jerry, and I cannot remember her last name right this minute, who was public sector VP, but few and far between. It was an interesting time, and I, I really do believe, you know, I was supported, but there was a lot of head scratching in terms of they didn't know what to do with me. And I think that there was a disparity for sure between men and women's career and the trajectory and speed of that career was very different because really? I had male counter. Yep. Yeah, I had male counterparts that moved much faster with, you know, with less experience, broad experience than I had. And so. Any regrets? No. You know, I took advantage of opportunities and I made choices in my career that involved a lifestyle choice, not just a career trajectory. Because I think that if I had been very focused only on my career, I might have managed it differently. But that's, again, not who I am. I'm a whole person and I I enjoyed and was very curious about learning about how people did business and what are these cultures doing and how could I make a difference? And I really appreciated that in, in a roles that I took internationally, I could see the impact that our business was having on the ground. So you talked about the day to celebrate women and how you saw that going on internationally. So in 2016, you and a couple friends started this just small event uh, <laughs> around International Women's Day here in the U.S. that now fields four or 500 people at uh, Seattle Symphony Hall, Benaroya Hall. How I wake up in the morning and think, I'm going to do a podcast and I'm going to script it, et cetera, and that's going to be a big victory. You, on the other hand, wake up and maybe a few months before decide, hey, you know what, in the U.S., 
we're not celebrating. So why don't I just rent a hall, grab some sponsors and some friends and try and rustle up a few hundred women? And it happens. So how did that get going? We always think that our career and our lives are on a on an upward trajectory, and that's rarely the case. And so, and I am case in point for that. I had left Microsoft and I was running a healthcare, digital healthcare startup. Sounds super easy because why wouldn't you? Healthcare is so easy to break into. And Correct. so I was doing that and trying to raise money. And, you know, we know how that goes for women in ventures and especially mature women in ventures. I was asked oftentimes, how much longer are you going to work? Or, this is so surprising that you're doing this business and it's not a women's business, like fashion or interior design. And like health isn't like, a women's business. Ugh, right. Really. It was just painful. And so I was lamenting with a friend of mine who had moved from Europe and it was January and we were like, oh gosh, what are we going to do? And she said, why don't we have an International Women's Day event? I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. It'll make us both feel better. And so we did. We kind of, you know, got <laughs> we'll together and put ourselves. it out on our social networks. Exactly. That was it. And so we went to Costco and we got wine and we got, you know, snacks and thought we'd have a few people and 85 people showed up at the basement of WeWork where I actually had an office. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is fun. And so the next year, people started emailing us asking if we were doing anything for International Women's Day. And so we kind of got organized and partnered with another nonprofit in town so that they could help us. And we were like, sure, you know, we'll do something. Okay. And we ended up with over 300 people and had to move venues several times because we didn't have any place for these people. And so it has grown and we decided that it was so much more fun to engage women and to celebrate and acknowledge women's contributions. And what we do is tell stories, have women tell their stories that are relatable and inspiring. Because what happens when we tell each other stories as women? The first thing is we find common ground immediately. And the second thing is we look at those storytellers and say, if she can do that, I can do that. And we motivate women to stand up and kind of follow their dreams and their ambitions. And you know, that's the premise that we work on. And we have people that talk about running for office. We have people who are business successes. We have people who have achieved education success. And, you know, success in in my book is you can have success at the highest heights in terms of financial or career. Or success could be for you getting out of bed and getting the kids to school Mm -hmm. that day. Mm -hmm. And we need to celebrate women across that spectrum and support one another always. And that is a day to mark that. But every single day I spend my days, you know, talking to people and doing that and bringing them together because we are 50% of the population. And Mm -hmm. we could be amazing if we got together and concentrated our efforts in terms of creating more gender balance. Your International Women's Day event morphed into your business in a way, be bold now. And Mm -hmm. so how did you decide that you wanted that to be more of your full-time gig? I really did kind of have to make the decision whether or not I wanted to continue to follow that scripted, you know, let me run this company or follow my heart that Mm -hmm. said, gosh, there's a need for this. And I really did make that scary choice again. 
and step off and say, you know what, I, I really am more fulfilled by this mission to support and bring women together. And so I, I kind of want to do that. And, you know, I, the International Women's Day is our flagship sort of pillar, that very public promotion of women, but we're innovating every day. And so we're now in the pandemic time and we are at a time in our history where, you know, I think about every day we are in the year of the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which granted women in the U.S. the right to vote. Mm -hmm. And in practice, it was not all women. And in fact, all women in practice were not given that right to vote until 1964, the the Civil Rights Act. Right. So in practice, and I think today, we still have so far to go. We do not have an Equal Rights Amendment ratified in our constitution and women you know again are a huge economic cultural and political engine of this country and are not being given that equal platform and so i think that there is so much work to be done to bring women together that i feel like this is another pivot that i'm doing in terms of you know how do we move forward as a community of women, and it doesn't matter how old or what your profession is or what your skill set is, but now is the time. Let's come together, lock arms, and make some changes for gender balance. It's amazing to me that, and this is why I wanted to interview you, that you have this step-up culture or step-up job at Microsoft with all the great adventures and unbelievably atypical career with the international work. Then you become the CEO of a startup company, which a lot of people start up a company, run it for a few years. It may or may not work out, but then they usually go back to a corporate job or maybe take a COO position at a startup company or try another CEO position. But you, on the other hand, decide to take on a mission. And in typical adventure, curiosity, seeking Kate, it's not just some small thing. I mean, so the 500 people at Benaroya was just uh, sort of the tip of the iceberg, if I know what's coming, correct? So this is a time where it is imperative that we support women. And I looked around and thought, how do we get money into women's pockets immediately? And looked at what the world was going online and buying online and thought, and I looked around and thought, there is no e-commerce site for women-owned businesses and professional services. So why not start one? And so that's what I did. The W Marketplace is an e-commerce site where we host women merchants and professional services because women like to buy things with relationship. They sure do. Yeah, you know, so we can buy napkins and makeup and you know, whatever clothes and jewelry. And we can also look for someone to do our taxes and give financial advice and an attorney all in one place. Finding your passion after the two journeys of Microsoft and Daysaver, having the courage to make that pivot. I mean, what's the lesson? Is there, is there a piece of advice that maybe you could give me on this? Yeah. You know, I, I think that women, all of us share the self-selecting out constantly. We decide that we don't have the right network. We don't have the right skills. We don't have the right education 
or that we have a family. And so it precludes us from following our dreams and really kind of searching out our passions. And I am a firm believer in why not, you know, ask Mm -hmm. yourself, why not? Because if you are, you know, you are searching for something or you know what that passion is, you are going to be a better person for following that. Ask yourself who you want to be and why not follow that? Surround yourself and seek out people who will support that. Mm-hmm. Either, you know, you are one of those people for me. And I, and I think of it like my council. I have my council of people mm-hmm. that I go to that I, you know, when I need support and when I need to say, gosh, you know, here's, I'm, I'm having some self-doubt because you always do, everybody does. What do you think about this? And, you know, those people will be honest and genuine with you, but will support that. Find that counsel and mm-hmm. ask yourself, why not try this? Why not follow this? What could happen? And, uh, you know, I have been very fortunate to find that council. And, you know, that council grows sometimes and it needs different team members. And, uh, but, you know, I am a perpetual why not kind of a person. Mm -hmm. I've always been, and I've tried so hard to live like everyone else and do the right, you know, kind of do the normal thing. And I just am so not successful at it. (laughs) I think you're more successful (laughs) in not doing the scripted thing than doing it. So a couple last things. Uh, You've got a book coming out next year. Very exciting. I do. I have a memoir coming out. Yep, absolutely. And the title is Breaking Borders, A Remarkable Story of Adventure, Family, and a Career that Exceeded All Expectations. Mm -hmm. And that is coming out early 2021. And so more information will be at kateisler.com on the release dates and updates on that book as we get closer. I never imagined the life that filled those pages. And I am, you know, so happy to look back and hopefully inspire women to take those chances and do that. Because I can tell you that I think of the book as uh, the first few chapters, as you said, but I'm not over, you know, I'm still having that life and I'm still planning that life. So maybe there'll be more than one book. Who knows? Who knows? I know there's going to be a, it's going to be a series. So you kind of alluded to it, but I thought, <laughs> I, I thought about naming this podcast, I'm Not Done Yet, because that's the way I feel. So what, I mean, mm-hmm. what aren't you done with? Yeah. Um, I'm not done. I'm not done with any part of my life. You know, I'm learning things that make me more interested every single day. I, I'm not finished with business success. You know, I feel like, gosh, this uh, marketplace for women and women-owned businesses is sort of an economic engine. For women and women at the core, I think of, I'm not finished with that. I have been married for over 30 years, not finished with them. I have three wonderful sons and one daughter-in-law. So, you know, our lives are, our life expectancy is getting longer in some senses. So gosh, I I might be only 50% finished. Oh my gosh. Well, thanks so much for coming on to Third Act. We look forward to the publishing of your book. Uh, We'll put that in the show notes. Um, In addition to Kate Eisler, Dot com. Where else can we find you? You can find us at bboldnow.com. So be bold. And that is the site that is for women. And it will give you stories and inspiration there. And we are both of us um, at Kate Eisler on Twitter and at be bold 
now on Twitter. So okay. we are there. We're across social media and I would love to engage with your audience. Happy to. I've Great. enjoyed talking. All right. Well, you'll be back for act five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But thank you very much. <laughs> Take care. Thank you, Liz. Thanks for joining me today to listen to the Third Act podcast. You can find show notes, guest bios, and more at thirdactpodcast.com. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Liz Tinkham. I'll be back next week with another guest who's found new meaning and fulfillment in the third act of their life.